Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Friday in the 16th week of Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Show favour, O Lord, to your servants, and mercifully increase the gifts of your grace, that, made fervent in hope, faith and charity, they may be ever watchful in keeping your commands. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. The Lord spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no gods except me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven or on earth, beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I punish the father's fault in the sons, the grandsons, and the great-grandsons of those who hate me. But I show kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not utter the name of the Lord your God to misuse it, for the Lord will not leave unpunished the man who utters his name to misuse it. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord your God. You shall do no work that day, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servants, men or women, nor your animals, nor the stranger who lives with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and all that these hold. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it sacred. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God has given to you. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his servant, man or woman, or his ox or his donkey or anything that is his. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The rule of the Lord is to be trusted. It gives wisdom to the simple. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. The precepts of the Lord are right. They gladden the heart. The command of the Lord is clear. It gives light to the eyes. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. The fear of the Lord is holy, abiding forever. The decrees of the Lord are truth, and all of them just. 
Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. They are more to be desired than gold, than the purest of gold, and sweeter are they than honey, than honey from the comb. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. Alleluia, alleluia. Happy are they who have kept the word with a generous heart and yield a harvest through perseverance. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, You are to hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom without understanding, the evil one comes and carries off what was sown in his heart. This is the man who received the seed on the edge of the path. The one who received it on patches of rock is the man who hears the word and welcomes it at once with joy. But he has no root in him. He does not last. Let some trial come or some persecution on account of the word, and he falls away at once. The one who received the seed in thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this world and the lure of riches choke the word, and so he produces nothing. And the one who received the seed in rich soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He is the one who yields a harvest and produces now a hundredfold, now sixty, now thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we've got the Ten Commandments as the first reading today. Uh, so we've gotten to the point where Israel, the, the 12 tribes, they've gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai and God has entered into a covenant with them, into this abiding relationship of belonging. I'm yours, you're mine. You're my people, I'm your God. Uh, and effectively, the sign of the covenant, the sign of belonging to God is obeying his word. Here's how you live when you belong to me. If you like, here are the rules of the household. Now, let me start by saying this. If you don't know the Ten Commandments, learn them. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. In the meantime, we've just forgotten the absolute basics. Kids aren't taught them and we're not expected to remember them. Seems a little odd to me. Um, so I'd say if you're a bit fuzzy on the Ten Commandments, get to memorising them. There are only ten. It's not too hard. Um, and I think it's something that really pays dividends because if it's in our minds, it can soak into our hearts. And that's pretty important, I think. You see, I think often we get the wrong idea about the Ten Commandments, and, you know, perhaps about the moral law in general. I think sometimes we can get the impression that these rules, they come from on high, and, you know, they're just the boundaries that God has set. Don't walk here because I don't want you to. Don't do this because I said so. In which case, it starts to seem like God is acting a bit like Pharaoh. Remember, the Israelites have come from Egypt where they were in slavery. 
That's where the master says, do this, do that. And make sure you obey the letter of the law. So here's the thing. Has Israel just swapped out one pharaoh for another? Has Israel now just entered into a a new kind of slavery with God because he's the one who gives commandments? I don't know. I think sometimes we can get that impression. And all of a sudden, God seems very small and pretty controlling. But God has drawn Israel out of slavery in Egypt so that they might be free. The worship of God and the obedience to his commandments isn't something that leads to further captivity, but instead to true freedom. How? What's going on here? Well, think of it this way. The Ten Commandments, they're not just arbitrary lines. They're a recipe for happiness. Can you steal and be happy? Can you be unfaithful to the most important commitment you make to your spouse and be happy? Can you kill and stay happy? You see, all of these things actually come to shape who we are. If I lie, I become a liar. Can I be a happy liar? Or maybe the sadness is that I lose myself and become a liar. Do I live the fullness of life when my life is wrapped up coveting that which I don't have? A heart gripped by jealousy. As complex as these relationships can be, if I don't look at mum and dad with at least some gratitude, how will I ever see the life that they've given me as a gift? And if God isn't the one that I love above all things, then what false God have I come to worship? See, here's the pattern of sin. It always promises to give something, right? We don't do bad things for no reason at all. We we, we try to bring about something good. But the problem with sin is that it's always a con job. We end up getting robbed of far more than we can possibly gain. And so we end up poorer. We're swindled because we thought what we would do would make us richer, but in fact it's just left us with empty pockets. Sin is a hollowing force. It empties us from the inside. So when God gives us a bunch of commandments and says, Oi, don't do this, don't do that. Is he setting up arbitrary lines and going, okay, I'm going to get really grumpy if you don't listen to what I say. It's like, well, no, he's... He's a good father. He won't just let us do whatever the heck we want. He'll guide us through life. And he'll point out where the dangers lie. Look out for this. It looks life-giving, but in fact it's deadly. Watch out for the temptation. It looks like it promises something good, but in fact it's a trick. Are the commandments hard? Yep. And I reckon we probably struggle with different ones. 
But has God given us these commandments because they're hard and he wants us to struggle and strive a little bit? No. It's not so that they would be a burden to us, but that they would lead us to the kind of life that is unburdened by sin. There's a little bit of an irony here. You want to be free? Be disciplined. Moderate your desire and point it toward what's truly good. Now, there's a bit here that I think is is really quite interesting, but, you know, at first read, probably sounds a little bit harsh. So... God says, you shall not make a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven or on earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Fair enough. But then you get this. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I punish the father's fault in the sons, the grandsons, and the great-grandsons of those who hate me. Oh man, seriously? Really? I mean, if the father's the one who's guilty, why mete out the punishment on sons, grandsons, and great-grandsons? Like, three generations after the sin, God's still keeping count? Hmm. You know what? I think it would be a mistake if we simply thought that, you know, God was a bit grumpy and therefore he says, I'll get you and your kids and grandkids too. No, I think there's a a very deep reality that's being put on display here. Even the most private and secret of sins will always cause someone else to suffer as a consequence. And that's not because God's trying to stick it to us, but it has to do with the nature of sin. Now, this is easy to see when we look at the kinds of sins that we commit against other people. I mean, obviously, if I steal, then the person who suffers is the one from whom I stole. Uh, If I commit adultery, the one who suffers is the one against whom I've broken my promise. But you know what? Even if my sin hasn't directly hurt someone else, it was a sin that I committed all by myself and in secret. It robs me of something. It stops me of being who I really need to be. And you know what? I'm in a network of relationships. People need me to be at my best. I mean, I'm a parish priest, right? Like, I mean, if I'm not who I need to be, then kind of everyone pays the price for that. If my relationship with God isn't rightly ordered then that's going to have a bearing on my ministry. And it's the people of my parish who pay the price for that. You know what? We can see this in families especially. Sons, grandsons, great-grandsons can definitely pay the price for the sins of a father. And it's not because God is bringing them bad luck, but because this is what sin is. It's a con job, and it can con us and leave everyone around us poorer because I'm not what I need to be. 
and I'm not what others need me to be. The commandments were to be the sign of belonging to God, the sign of the covenant. That when we hear God's word, it's not because we accept another Pharaoh who brings us slavery, but because we have the word of a father who brings us life. The commandments aren't there to cramp our style or to teach us who's boss and to bring us to heal. No, the commandments are there as a recipe for happiness. As tasty as it may be, don't drink the poison of sin. It'll kill you every time. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.